to Shot Reverse Shot, a film and television podcast in which we talk about a theme which changes from episode to episode. My name's Edwin Davis, and joining me this week, through the miracle of satellite technology, it's Emily Benita. Hi Emily, how's it going? I'm alright, thanks Ed. I am nearly at the end of the first season of I'm Dying Up Here, mm. which has been my main watch watching habit this week. It's, it is exactly my trash. I don't think I could call it pure treasure because there are times where it genuinely, I'm wincing, right? It can mm-hmm. be quite on the nose, but it's exactly, it's exactly my thing. It's kind of like the comfort food you'd make for yourself that you've never in a million years served to any of your friends at a dinner party. <laughs> and it is so my thing, Ed, because it's set in the 70s in LA and it's stand up comedy it's a little bit like marvelous mrs Maisel in that it's a period comedy drama focusing on stand-up but i think it's better than mrs Maisel because it feels truer um Mm. in terms of like what the what an actual scene looks and feels like and it's tangential to reality in the same way that mrs Maisel is like Lenny Bruce exists in Mrs. Maisel's reality and like Richard Pryor, for example, exists and, and so does Johnny Carson and they actually like appear and are played by other people in I'm Dying Up Here. It's like, I still just really enjoy it because it's not amazing. Bits of it are transcendent. It's it, it's not like, it doesn't manage to be boogie nights and it's only boogie nights that's boogie nights, right? There, But there mm. are points where it kind of tips towards it a bit there's a little bit too much kind of like slow motion smashing up of things where you're just like oh the tropes but even the tropes you're like oh you're here hello welcome come on in haven't seen you in a while and everything that Ari Grainer wears is absolutely amazing so that's how I've been bloody coping through (laughs) through culture a bit how are you Ed? Uh, Yeah I'm I'm, I'm doing alright you describing I'm dying up here to me I mean I've I've seen bits of episodes because it used to air over here on Showtime right before Twin Peaks, so I'd always catch the last like two or three minutes before Twin Peaks The Return would come on, and it was always, yeah, like your description of it certainly sounds like my experience of it, where you kind of tune in, and sometimes it'd be like the bits I would see would kind of feel like, oh, you know, this is like a well-crafted show, these are good actors, you know, that they're doing well, and sometimes it'd be like a scene of someone doing stand-up and it's that terrible cliche of like someone getting up to do stand-up for the first time and everyone's like really like dismissive or whatever and then there's like as they're performing it it's like everyone's getting it like everyone's <laughs> everyone's doing it which is something that i'm sure like happens there are certainly cases of people getting up on stage with low expectations and wowing people and everything like that but it's such a hard thing to do right yeah and it's such it's been a thing that's been parodied so much in anything that you know kind of takes to task the cliches of, of music biopics or you know anything mm. about a great artist that it's really hard for anyone to kind of do that somewhat earnestly uh, but, but it also kind of reminds me a little bit what you're describing of um, HBO's Vinyl which was 
the now <laughs> long forgotten uh, follow-up to Boardwalk Empire, which was, you know, like another kind of prestigious Scorsese produced and directed the pilot episode, uh, a show about history of New York, and that was all about the music industry. And that was a show that was like, had the patina of prestige to it because obviously it had like big actors and it had this kind of whole thing of like yeah we're telling a story from history but in our own way but it was just kind of like really trashy and like fun but like that's kind of not I think what people were expecting from it so it only lasted a single season which was kind of embarrassing because I think at the time it was like notoriously expensive for a TV show from from HBO mm-hmm. um in terms of my kind of like cultural uh, diet, I've been kind of flitting between a couple of different things. I watched the first two episodes of season four of Better Call Saul, which uh, I haven't seen yet because over here, the show, like in, in the UK, Better Call Saul episodes debut on Netflix the day after they air in the US, but in the US they only debut on AMC and I don't have cable, so I, I, it's very much a case now of I have to wait until they all drop on Netflix and work my way through them and uh, the show is still uh, fantastic i really like it i st- i prefer it to breaking bad um i think i i preferred it to breaking but breaking bad from the first season just cuz i really enjoy the kind of slower more meditative approach to it and i i just love the way that bob odenkirk is like given the chance to kind of demonstrate the depth that he can bring to a dramatic role in a way that it, it wasn't really the case that much in Breaking Bad, where he was always just kind of like a standout supporting character who kind of represented a, a connection to the underworld and had a certain menace to him, but was mainly just kind of Bob Odenkirk being really funny. But they do still provide opportunities for him to be the Bob Odenkirk that, you know, comedy fans know. Like, there's a scene in the second episode where his character is going out to interview for jobs and he goes to a copier store to try and get a job as a, a salesman and after his interview he kind of like walks out then he walks back in and he talks to the people who are interviewing him and he says you know yeah i just i just wanted to say one more thing and he goes into this big compassion speech about how he worked as a uh, a copy boy in a mail room and he understands how copy is at the heart of a business and he kind of does this big speech which feels very kind of like don drapery you know it's kind of yeah design, designed to play to an audience and to kind of really wow them and then at the end of it, they offer him the job and he says, and he basically says, I can't take the job if you would fall for something like that. <laughs> he's, like, he's just like, he's talking about how they're just complete suckers. And it was really funny because I thought that turn is really not that far away from Mr. Show sketch premise. Of <laughs> a guy coming in good, doing this really earnest and completely committed monologue about this thing and then immediately just being like ah i'm not gonna work for you guys you're a bunch of idiots but watching that also then sent me down like a a rabbit hole of just thinking about how strange bob odenkirk's career has been and how he at this point i think to a lot of people is most famous for being in breaking bad and better Saul, which is understandable because it's like the biggest things he's been involved in but like it's so weird to think that now he's a guy who's been nominated for a bunch of like best actor emmys and he's been in like these like hugely acclaimed dramas but like in the late 2000s he was like the guy who discovered tim and eric and he was like a guy who was directing 
like Will Arnett vehicles that no one liked, and like and then and obviously before then he was like you know icon of the LA alternative comedy scene, but like he he is like a real interesting example of someone who, who's really just kind of like done more or less what he wanted and kind of like followed his whims and as such has has this really strange and varied career. And also I thought that it was really interesting like when Little Women came out there was such a clear split I think between people who when he appeared were like oh that guy from that TV show and people who were like have been following Bob Odenkirk's career for a long time being like this is weird (laughs) seeing Bob Odenkirk in like a big prestigious period drama like it can't help but feel like a Mr. Show sketch because that's pretty much the only time we've ever seen him in like a, in, a, in that situation especially when you know he does say the line my little women which does sound like a joke that you know they would st- <laughs> They they were doing Mr. Show of like you know we're making little women but none of us have read it so <laughs> um, but yeah so that's mainly what I've been thinking of as I often often am just thinking about Bob Kirk and just what a, a, a wonderfully weird career he has had and the trajectory that he's been on. There's a, a tiny bit of news uh, this week. Obviously, we, we said last week that we're only really going to talk about any news stories that kind of really bubble up through the surface because so much of the news at the moment is just, you know, projects being cancelled and, you know, there's, there's not a huge amount worth uh, discussing at in length. But I, I really think, like, this was one not merely because um, it involves an artist who, you know, met a lot to a lot of people, but also someone whose work we have discussed on this show um, a fair bit when we did our episode on uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which is uh, Adam Schlesinger, who died this week at the age of 52 from complications arising from the coronavirus. Uh, Schlesinger was the... He had a kind of a... Like, like Bob Odenkirk, actually, in a weird way, like he had a fairly varied career where he was the, like, singer and... Uh, songwriter behind Fountains of Wayne who were you know kind of like a a cult act who had like a huge hit with Stacey's mom in the early 2000s wrote tons of songs for film and TV most notably prior to his work on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend was probably That Thing You Do for which he was nominated for an Oscar um, which is probably like one of the best songs ever written for a movie and certainly one of the best songs about yeah for a movie about a song (laughs) in terms of like if you wanted to make a movie about a one-hit wonder and you wanted to someone if you wanted someone to write you the catchiest one-hit wonder ever like he fucking nailed it with uh that thing you do and then obviously most recently he wrote most of the songs for crazy ex-girlfriend with the the star of the show rachel bloom i i think he wrote like a hundred and 30 something songs I think it was over the course of the show's four seasons which is uh, incredible especially considering how good they are and how varied they are and uh, it's just a tremendous shame all of the the tributes to him have been talking about his like generosity as a creative partner there was a lovely note written by Aline Frosch McKenna who's the one of the other co-creators of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend talking about you know him just kind of delivering them beautiful songs kind of like that were perfect for the moment like fully formed even though he would be kind of very deprecating about his ability and yeah it's just it's just incredibly sad considering how much wonderful work that he's done to for him to to die so young as a part of this horrible crisis that we're all living through it's awful i remember seeing that he was on a ventilator and thinking oh at least he's got a ventilator that's good right 
and mm-hmm. then I think two days later, waking up and the news had come in that he died, and it was just awful. And I just thought about Rachel Bloom because she, in sort of in the space of a week, had her baby, and then one of her greatest like collaborators died. And mm. that note from Amy Bosch McKenna was so beautiful. The uh, ego bitchery. I hope I'm pronouncing yeah. that right. Everyone go and look it up. It's it's a really like it's such an incredible tribute to someone by it's almost it reminds me a little bit of when Harris Whittles died. People mm. talking about humble brag. It's in that same line, but it's remarkable because the second part of that tweet is an email he sent them for a song in season one of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend called What, What'll It Be? And he's like, oh, I'm just, I've, I've been noodling about, like, sorry, it's just a verse and a chorus, like, I'll figure out more of it, but see if this works. And it just rings out so well. It feels so polished and is really not far off what the final song ended up being. And he seemed, yeah, like someone who was great to work with and in the GQ piece about him, there was a really lovely section where he was talking about, oh, I used to stay up late at night just worrying in my 20s, being like, oh, no, what's my voice and and who am I and how do I find out what that is? And then he realised, oh, I just need to focus on each project at a time. Mm. And that's all you ever need to do. And I thought that's such a beautiful sentiment for all of us right now. (laughs) but also testament to how he managed to fashion himself to everything. Like, his Mm. voice was that he was able to, like, simultaneously give tribute to and spoof any kind of music. Like, Mm. um, the music and lyrics, the meaningless kiss, which manages to sound like every Wham song at once. (laughs) And makes you kind of again laugh at it because you can see the tropes and the structure of it and you're encouraged to find that funny but you're also encouraged to find the joy in that and be like oh yeah that's how that works like he's he's um, a magician who's constantly breaking the magician's code and you just can't get enough of it so yeah I was horrible to hear that he's gone but what an, what an amazing legacy to leave so we will go on to our main topic this week which is I guess it's kind of just like corona related art, I guess. Not in the sense of art that's been inspired by the coronavirus, although there is plenty of it if you you know, you're on Twitter and you're looking at the people who are doing all the front facing comedy videos <laughs> of trying to uh, you know, stave off their own sense of cabin fever by trying to, you know, kind of make people laugh and to presumably just kind of keep themselves occupied. But in the sense of like art from that you know that we are turning to in this time to kind of provide us a bit of comfort but also like art that kind of helps us process all of this because i i you know i can't speak for everyone but certainly i i've watched a lot of movies a lot of tv shows read a lot of books and all this sort of stuff and like those are primarily the ways in which i kind of like try to make sense of an often chaotic world is trying to put them in context of you know these these kind of works of, of fiction and, and sometimes history but sometimes you know history is 
not suited because you know the the times have changed too much for things to be relevant like you could read about the 1918 flu epidemic but the world is very different to what it was in 1918 so it's maybe not the most fruitful thing to to study in terms of understanding just like the day-to-day weirdness of what it is to live with a pandemic raging on around you so that's kind of the, so I, I feel like there are and particularly in terms of like what it means to be quarantined and to to be to spend a lot of time on your own like I've been looking at a lot of I've been thinking about a lot of different works of fiction that are about that, that aren't necessarily related to you know diseases and outbreaks and apocalypses in the end of the world although there is a lot of that as well um but yeah so so i'll start off like the thing that the the one kind of work of art that i keep thinking about all the damn time particularly whenever people are sharing like drone shots of empty cities and things like that you know where people are all inside hunkering down uh is the dream sequence in vanilla sky where tom cruise is in Times square alone and just kind of like running through it you know seeing this formerly bustling place that is usually just filled to the brim with tourists and new york is going on about their day and people you know kind of like hustling and trying to make a living or whatever seeing it just like completely empty except for this one person is like such an eerie thing and it's a a kind of sensation that i've always found incredibly eerie that's why like my dad used to do lots of like after school activities at the school I went to when I was like a teenager where he was like training like cricket teams and stuff so I would like sometimes go along with him to help out and I always would like just kind of like walking around the empty school that I would think of as like usually like there's like hundreds of people like running around and the classes are full and now it's completely empty I've always found the absence of people in a place that is usually bustling like incredibly affecting um, which is why I feel like that, and I'm sure that's true for a lot of people as well. And I think that's why the overlap sequence in Vanilla Sky is so impactful. But yeah, like every time I see people just like posting pictures of deserted or nearly deserted cityscapes, all I can think of like is it's just like Vanilla Sky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right, Ed, because we're all desperately trying to find references for something that we have had no reference for at all. Mm. and some of them become repurposed like I think that example is spot on and it's strange because I feel like a lot of my friends have been saying this as well that we're starting to feel different reactions to watching things that were before absolutely fine but now Mm -hmm. it's like oh my god they touched that glass and now that glass is going back to the <laughs> restaurant and are they in the kitchen are they going to wash that properly oh god so things that normally would not induce panic <laughs> mm-hmm. are now like uh, like sort of um, tracing the microbiomes <laughs> or whatever so I found like in terms of culture that helps me with references it's been quite difficult because either leaning into it has really helped or leaning away from it has really helped hmm. there's not one a one fix all ever I have to really sort of try and gauge how I'm feeling and what I need because sometimes mm. escapism just makes you feel more aware of what you're running away from and other times you just want not to have anything to do anything with anything medical at all because I watched Contagion mm-hmm. because I'd never seen it before also um, 
and I found that strangely really comforting because even though it shows how bad it gets a vaccine is made and mm, you know yeah. things aren't like do 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 fine but the main thing is vanquished and it shows how quickly and blamelessly these things happen in terms of the people who were sort of contracting it and how it, how it goes around and it can be incredibly simple and it's not massive like you know it's not neglect or miss you know malpractice it, you know we don't live on that level of living things <laughs> in the mm. world and I also like that it basically says oh guys we're, we're sort of fucking up the environment though that's partly why <laughs> this is all happening um, mm. and I think a lot of people have been doing the same because I think Contagion like shot up charts in terms of what was being rented and, and um, watched on Amazon um, because yeah. there's that thing of like, you know, are we looking for clues? Is there something in us? As I think we're evolving almost rapidly, um, we we are adapting in the same way the virus is adapting. Hence my kind of like, why why do I feel so like, oh my god, look at them shaking hands in the same way that when I watch Mad Men, being like, God, you don't remember when you could smoke in offices? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. For me, one of the the weirder touchstones, I think, in terms of like pieces of pop culture that just kind of feel weirdly prescient about all this sort of stuff, and like seeming to provide me with like a sense of like, oh, this is kind of like how we all process this. Are the bits at the very end of Shaun of the Dead, yes. where Simon Pegg's character, the titular Shaun, is looking through the TV as he was early on in the movie but like there is like now it's like there's a game show that is about zombies where earlier on it was like you know um, that where it was people now it's zombies kind of like trying to go against a rope to reach a piece of meat it's Coldplay talking about a charity single they're doing for zombie, zombie relief <laughs> and like I was this morning I watched some of the like highlights from Wrestlemania last night just because I was curious to see what it would be like to have this kind of like big bombastic show taking place in you know a training room essentially because they can't do it in an arena with a crowd so they do it in an, a training room with no one there except the cast and crew and that was kind of the same vibe I got from it that sense of like oh yeah people still have to make like dumb TV shows to entertain people during this time of crisis like you're gonna have to adapt to it and every time I see like now we're seeing lots of like adverts on TV and on the internet for like companies being like you know we're all going through something now we're trying to make some sort of point about the coronavirus and you know like adverts for cars which are being kind of like you know when this is all over we'll be able to give you like three percent financing or whatever yeah (laughs) and it's like it's like that that's kind of like one of the things that i keep going back to is that weird sense of like the world goes through this kind of like seismic thing that you know kind of shakes it to its, its core but you kind of get through it and then things have to go on as before but incorporating the fact that we've all got this like traumatic experience that we've all gone through even if you know it's not as traumatic as you know getting ill and going to the hospital if it's just a case of like 
the the sense of fear that you that you described of you know just kind of like concern about you know touching surfaces and things like that yeah because i don't think marketing has ever really had to deal with the demographic of species before mm-hmm. yeah like and it's not to say that we're all affected equally by this every single human being on the planet is affected by this but it's revealing how drastic the disparities and how you know the structure of how we're living is mm. but in terms of like yeah, when this is all over, would it be like a nice? <laughs> I'm like, is that the first thing on people's minds? <laughs> but yeah, the end of Shaun of the Dead is great, and I think there's something. I I think Shaun of the Dead is pretty much a perfect film, um, yeah. in in every sense, and I love that coda because Shaun's kind of cleaned up his act as much as he needs to. Mm-hmm. it's not like he's suddenly he, he, it's plausible his, his change and the fact that he grows through the crisis um, it's a real kind of delayed coming of age <laughs> arrested development set free does that work? does that make sense? sure yeah and I, and I really like it because I think and it's interesting because a lot of the conversations I've been having with my friends I think is highlighting like again a lot of how we've been socialized and what in culture we deem to be success or failure mm. and Sean does well because Sean focuses on looking after those he loves and survival mm. he's not you know and that's how he becomes a better a better person <laughs> and has to face up to a lot of scary stuff a lot of horrible decisions and a lot of loss but comes out mm. the other side of it more whole seemingly as a person um, he's not you know and I'm not saying that we all need to like you know, stay the fuck inside don't go outside with a cricket bat but I think there's something to be learnt from oh we've not all suddenly got loads of free time that's not what mm. you know so you know writing King Lear and all of this stuff it's um, <laughs> and, I, and I think that's the lesson to be taken Shaun of the Dead I, I've had an urge recently to watch like really stupid like thriller pandemic medical things including mm. Ed, God knows why Medicine Man <laughs> right and if anyone's not familiar with Medicine Man it's a 1992 howler with Sean Connery and mm-hmm. Lorraine Bracco and there's what a cool 30 year age difference between them yeah that's, yeah that seems about right yeah that's, um, Connery's got the most ridiculous hair you've ever seen and it's summed up if you google it like the Wikipedia basically someone's just summed it up in three sentences like and it and it's exactly what it is like eccentric um, scientist searches for a cure for cancer he initially rejects an assistant because she's a woman later they fall in love <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like it's it, it's so so po-faced and like but I'm like yeah sometimes you just need when 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 everything is surreal and 
like in a way that you don't expect things to be surreal like mm. like it's a very mundane kind of bizarre thing that the majority of us are, are doing you know it's like you can't go outside so you're so you're at home and ostensibly you're fine but you're also not at all <laughs> all the time um watching stuff that is really dumb <laughs> like really <laughs> stupid i'm like yes i know that's stupid <laughs> it's something i can be certain of my main association with uh, Medicine Man is the the Flophouse podcast, the bad movie podcast, has been making fun of it for years and years and years, particularly for the line, I found the cure for cancer, but then I lost it. Uh, you've lost Which the cure for cancer! <laughs> always, always just reminds me of the Futurama joke, um, I invented it in a dream and then I forgot it in another dream. <laughs> 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 oh, that's wonderful. See, that just reminds me of um, the day today and Peter O'Hanrahan ran. You've lost the news, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the day today, as well, is definitely something that I think of a lot in this time, particularly <sighs> when you just get like completely wild headlines. Um, I'll find, like, I'll just find the one because I, I've and a lot of people have been doing this you know i don't want to take credit for this but a lot of people whenever there is a particularly crazy headline they'll like post it and then just post a picture of a, a screenshot from the day-to-day of um chris morris looking at it very askance as if to say i cannot understand how this is happening but yeah i did it with one uh, a few weeks ago i've got a, i post a lot of bullshit on twitter don't i um <laughs> <laughs> Oh, here we go. That didn't take too long. Uh, yeah, the one I posted was Queensland's premier Anastasia Palasuk says anyone who has been in close contact with Tom Hanks will need to self-isolate and quarantine. Which obviously is, you know, it's, it's uh, it was terrible that Tom Hanks got uh, coronavirus, and it's good that he appears to be doing okay now. But just the the juxtaposition of incredibly famous person and um, government authorities saying that people should avoid them and be self-quarantined struck me as that very kind of like day-to-day mixture of the kind of weird of of like weird real life famous people and just like extraordinary situations it was amazing when on the sort of day-to-day British satire front found it quite comforting that when the BBC sort of, you know, lockdown was officially pulled in the UK, um, mm-hmm. the number of people who were sharing the clip from the thick of it where Malcolm is just storming about saying, it's a lockdown! And I was like, oh, <laughs> And I thought, good. I'm glad that's where our minds are collectively going. Because it's like, yeah. oh yeah, that reminds me of that thing. That's what this is. I think the BBC actually officially shared it from there. <laughs> as well which was like oh okay didn't believe that any of the swearing yet no fine <laughs> one, of, one of those things yeah for me whenever i hear the phrase lockdown i just think about that episode of succession where everyone gets locked away in the uh in the buildings yeah. <laughs> at the uh particularly just for greg talking about uh, an attack child <laughs> uh or no yeah whoever it was who used the phrase attack child <laughs> gonna need um, to season three of succession soon ed that's uh we're all um we're all just begging for it that's that's probably a show that will 
handle it well, I think. We'll handle having to t- deal with the question of the coronavirus <laughs> and, you know, seeing the Roy family's response to it. I, I, I feel like that show will handle it well. Mm. One of the other things I, I find myself thinking of a lot is particularly in terms of like you know most of my days are spent in my flat uh i'll go out for a walk every so often to kind of like stretch my legs and yesterday i went to target so i went and you know got some groceries but other than that the last three weeks i've pretty much just been in my house listening to music or watching stuff on tv and then going to my computer and like doing work from home stuff and all i can think of is the season two premiere of lost man of science man of faith where you see inside the hatch for the first time and it just shows the routine of the character of desmond who's like just going around listening to music every 118 minutes he has to press a button on a computer and you know it's like that's the thing that keeps circling back to me that sense of like isolation but also having to like come up with a routine for yourself of like just being stuck away and thinking okay what exercises can I do to kind of keep myself limber and prevent atrophy occurring and also yeah, being wedded to technology and I have to keep going over to a computer terminal and kind of pressing buttons every so often and also uh, <laughs> one of the things that uh, someone in my in one of my group chats like mentioned the other day was how they have started seeing all public interactions as being like a stealth mission in a video game um, <laughs> like the bits in GTA where you have to tail someone and you have to stay a certain distance back otherwise they'll spot you and run off and uh, I have found myself thinking oh yeah that's kind of how I view it as well like uh, keeping aware it's like okay you gotta stay six feet away or you know it'll fail and you have to start it all over again you know I'll have to start my walk again uh, from the beginning Um, but that's kind of another one where you know like we're all having to kind of like like you said you know because of how we've been socialized like we're all having to kind of relearn how we interact with the people in the world and that was one of the ones i kind of thought yeah i guess that is kind of like a weird preparation for it is that you kind of get used to the notion of okay i need to adjust my pace so that i'm walking at the same pace as the person in front of me you like move out of the way because i'm you know kind of conscientious and not just kind of like barreling into people as some people are um but yeah, that was kind of, that's kind of like a weird association I found myself thinking of, thinking of like, you know, chasing after people in GTA or like Hitman walking around and trying not to be spotted by people. You know, the Metal Gear Solid games of kind of like kind of sneaking around. I haven't gone out in a cardboard box yet, but I'm sure that's, a very, that's, that's an eventuality. I had been planning to play Pathologic 2 this year, Ed. Um, <laughs> sort of the, the shine's gone off that idea a bit. Um yeah, that seems like an especially brutal one to play during these times. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, it's not quite the plague, but still, mmm, lemon, life-giving egg. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I'm basically holding off buying The Sims 4 for as long as possible, because I like to kid myself mm. that there are still maybe uh, other other uses of my time. I'm totally jonesing to play it, but I know that is that is it. That will be me done. But I don't think I've ever felt more like a sim in my life. And I'm, and I'm talking the original game, Ed. Like, the carpool yeah. would turn up, time would fast forward. Because really, you only ever, in the first game, you you, you know, it's not, it's, there's no hot date expansion pack. There's no going downtown. Um, mm-hmm. You are just in the house all the time. And trying to make sure all of the needs are met. And 
sometimes I can really feel not so much the tip of the sword of Damocles, but the pointy bit of my mood diamond scratching my <laughs> scalp. And I'm like, wow, that is amber. A lot of my <laughs> friends um, are playing Animal Crossing. Yeah. Now, I don't have a Switch. Again, that might change um, <laughs> soon. Oh, maybe if I can. Money doesn't have meaning anymore, right? It's going to be like Fight Club and they'll blow up the bank so no one will be in debt, right? I can have a credit card. Um, but my word, looking at the at the memes that everyone's posting on Twitter, that is a cute looking game. Yes, that has definitely been, in terms of things that I watch uh, for a sense of just kind of like, ah, relaxation and comfort, like there have been a bunch of people I've been watching stream that game, like Giant Bomb have been doing loads of streams of it. They did a charity stream on Friday night where they like played the game for like three hours with a bunch of other games um games journalists all kind of like loading in and showing each other their islands and they raised over thirteen thousand dollars for um like first responders and people who are on the front line against the coronavirus which was a lovely thing to see but it was also like i don't, I don't like to say the word because it's overused so much it was so wholesome it was so wholesome seeing like all these people go to each other islands and just be like really wowed by what people have done in terms of how they've organized their town how many villages they have what they've got in their museum and stuff like that there was something like just really nice about the sense of appreciation of the amount of work that these people have put into this this thing because obviously they've got a lot of hours free in the day in which to kind of make sure that their town is exactly how they want it and because they're all playing the game at more or less the same time they all do have a sense of like just how much work goes into all of that so it was really nice like every time they went somewhere everyone being just kind of like oh wow look at you and what you've done with your house look at you know look oh look at how cute these villages are and all this sort of stuff like there is something really nice about it and, and also like the McElroy brothers have been doing a bunch of streams on their channel where they um play it and there's a really funny one where uh, griffin McElroy invites his two brothers over to see his island and they just destroy it (laughs) (laughs) they immediately start digging stuff up and planting trees in places and just annoying the hell out of him and it's really funny because like he's he's clearly like they're all doing it for jokes and they're having fun but it's clear that griffin's getting very stressed about (laughs) all the damage they're doing and all the work you'll have to do to fix the stuff that his brothers are broken Uh, yeah so it's just it's just quite nice and also like they're all like adults who have jobs and they've all got kids and everything like that it's quite nice every so often you kind of think oh right yeah this is I think this is a nice insight into the dynamic that clearly existed between them when they were all children and living in the same house yeah I think there's a fair bit of quite endearing regression going on there (laughs) absolutely a game that I've, I've been toying with playing that is in no way um, as cute but I think kind of feels a lot of people have made this observation and like feels weirdly prescient considering you know it only came out like six months ago but Death Stranding because yeah. you know that's a game about people who just live in their houses and someone has to deliver stuff to them and like is this sense of like an atomized America where everyone's kind of like fragmented off from each other and communicating through like social media and things like that and you know at the time Hideo Kojima got a lot of people kind of making fun of him for being like you know old man complaining about people being on their damn phones essentially about it all but like 
so many elements of that game now do seem like weirdly like oh yeah it kind of predicted kind of how a lot of people would be living their lives in like barely in like four or five months time and like how we'd all be going through this like weird experience together and the get the game itself from what people have said the people who like the game because it's been very divisive um a lot of people say it's like very meditative going around and delivering things and like forming a sense of connection with people who have built structures that you can then use i kind of feel like yeah for a, at a time when you know you've got a fair amount of like time free in the evenings and during the day a lot of the time like that probably seems like a good game to be playing at this point mm. um although it's uh, it's um, in terms of prescience it's a lot nicer than the bit in metal gear solid revengeance where the insane businessman running for president screams about how he wants to make america great again oh. <laughs> <laughs> why, why is kojima only prescient about the terrible things <laughs> <laughs> yes we need nice prescience that's what we'd like Kojima. please now you've got your your bafta fellowship can you do some can you do some nice things now? Speaking of like <laughs> prescience and um uh, and like you know things that are vaguely prophetic, I think it's we have to be careful with that. I think because I just don't want to give any more like any more legitimacy to like the absolutely batshit conspiracy theories that are going yeah. around. Um, yeah. But I think like anything that is sort of sci-fi or speculative it's hard not to say like oh that's what happened because you know what happened and we study human behavior enough oh people aren't you know looking out for each other enough surprise surprise but all that to say a new series in the uk of uh limmy's homemade show is Mm. um has been commissioned and i think i mean the first pilot of it came out like nearly two years ago and yeah. it is just Limmy doing sketches in his house as he's done on like social media for ages and it's like oh wow yeah you can do sketch shows if it's just you <laughs> in your house and you have a phone so he was like ahead of the curve before we all needed to start flattening it and ditto Alistair Green who I think is like the most incredible one man sketch machine um who manages to ha- he just seems to have the brightest whitest flat I've ever seen like the light he gets <laughs> is insane but that he can do stuff that's really like like is on point and so quick and he, he just turns them out and they're all great so I, I've been enjoying those as well even though obviously it's like from well before from well before lockdown I think that's one of the things this week that I thought was really interesting was like I obviously I listen to a lot of comedy podcasts and a lot of the comedy podcasts I listen to were like very much old people in a room hanging out together being funny Yeah. and this was the first week where like comedy, ba- comedy Bang Bang put out a show that was all recorded remotely Hollywood Handbook put out an episode that was all recorded remotely and it was this, this was that was really interesting seeing how well they coped with it how much that energy kind of is carried over even though the circumstances are very different how the 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 feel of the shows kind of really really still works when they do it remotely and also allowed for hollywood handbook to have tony hawk on the show which i'm not sure is something that would have happened if Mm. they were doing it in studio because it's obviously 
that there's a lot less of a demand to kind of have someone like travel in um but that's that was something i found weirdly heartening this week was like you know oh like they're continuing on they're, they're adjusting to this thing and they're still kind of like doing the thing that i would assume would be like just completely destroyed by them not being able to be in the room but you know they're all like very talented very funny people so they're able to make it work and you know there is that 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 to me is kind of like more indicative of the quote-unquote blitz spirit of things of people just being kind of like yeah obviously probably there's a commercial thing because they need to you know make episodes to get ad money or whatever but like there is something quite nice about people kind of doggedly going on with what they were doing before and just trying to find a new format in which to do it like that as well i think you see in all of the late night shows that have now just basically being made in people's houses <laughs> and like you know seth meyers just in his living room talking to a camera and um, there was a really good article by david scoff in the new york times about this where at one point they talk about how they're just constantly getting roasted by youtubers because of how poor their lighting setup is in their shows <laughs> <laughs> and then being like yeah we haven't been planning to do this for years <laughs> that's why our lighting and makeup is not quite up to par <laughs> So we end this episode, we end all our episodes of Shot vs. Shot Recommends, in which we talk about a piece of culture that we've enjoyed and we think you, the listeners, will enjoy as well. Emily, what are you going to recommend for the listeners this week? I'm just going to recommend that you listen on Spotify to Crazy Ex-Girlfriend soundtrack, but also with commentary. Um, there's a commentary mm. version, and you can hear Adam Sutherland talking about doing stuff, doing doing his wonderful, that thing he does because I don't think there's a better way to commemorate a really a really cool dude than that. Yeah, that sounds, uh, sounds fantastic. I am going to recommend a video from uh, Giant Bomb, which I, rec- I talked about earlier. Giant Bomb is a video game website that's been around for about 13 years, 12 or 13 years at this point, and they do lots of um, reviews and uh, interviews and things like that, which are, all, are super fun, but they will occasionally do... Uh, streams where they play through old uh, FMV videos, uh, video games um, that use, you know, real actors and things like that. And they're always a good time. And they did one this week uh, around a bunch of old arcade light gun games, most notably Mad Dog McCree, a, a staple of my childhood because my uh, granddad uh, ran an arcade in Rill and uh, he would often just give me you know free credits to to play these games that i was very bad at but it's a really really funny video of them just kind of like playing through and 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 just enjoying these ludicrously over the top performances by the actors who are basically like in a desert somewhere in northern california playing cowboy and just really hamming it up and it is a super fun it's a super fun time i'll put a link to the uh, description in the description to that and to the um the crazy ex-girlfriend video if you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, then please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Spotify, all the usual places. Rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. It's the best way to help us grow our audience. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter, where we are at SRS underscore podcast. We'll be back next time with something entirely different. But until then, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.